Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 487 with Mason Taylor of Mason in Luca. You know, maybe the next night turns into five and let's make sure those five people have the most amazing experience and that turns into six. And it was just that focus on that small scale with that much empathy and thoughtfulness and hospitality that, that has, you know, gotten us where we are. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. What's sorcery? Sorcery is AP automation, digital invoicing, and time and money saved. That's Sorcery. Sorcery allows you to streamline and digitize your entire accounts payable operation. Digital invoicing backed with human verification will save you countless hours of work and increase AP accuracy. Say goodbye to your file cabinets and enter the digital world. Go to GetSorcery.com, that's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com, or call 1-866-830-0691. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you will receive 10% off your first three months with no setup fees. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000, apply online, and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable you can get a $50 gift card when you qualify that's cabbage with a k line of credit is subject to credit approval c terms and conditions all cabbage business loans are issued by celtic bank a utah chartered industrial bank member fdic with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest chef taylor mason my man are you feeling unstoppable today Eric, I'm glad to be with you, brother. And uh, indeed, I am unstoppable today and most days of the week. So glad to be here. Let's do this. Hailing from Washington, D.C., Chef Taylor Mason is a graduate of Mount St. Mary University in Maryland and the Culinary Institute of America in Greystone. When it was time to raise a family, Mason, along with his wife, Leanne Robustelli, decided to move back to the East Coast from California in Maison. Urban Eatery was born in 2011. Five years later, the couple has opened their second location, Luca, and they're going strong. Man, I can't wait to dive into your story and to find out what makes you you. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Excellent. Uh, Yeah, this is something that I... Through entrepreneurship, I've thought a lot about, but particularly while we were working on our second project, um, most literally what brought us to the door of this building that we're sitting in. Yeah, so the core idea that uh, you'll never know the answer if you don't ask the question. Um, I I use that figuratively uh, in the sense of, um, you know, whether we're dressing our front of house staff and asking them how we're going to create dialogue with our guests to enhance their experience uh, or most literally with this building, uh, I literally knocked on the door and said I would uh, would like to chat with them about the future of the building if they had any interest. And so um, 
If you don't, if you, you know, if you simply, you'll never know the answer if you don't ask the question. Yeah, man. And listening to that story, it just, it just reminds me of so many people. I feel like we wait for opportunity, right? We, we sit around and we wait for opportunity to happen, but that's not how successful people get to where they are. They create opportunity. They go, they ask around, they put it into the universe and they hustle and they, they create what they want in their lives. And it sounds like that's kind of your mentality. You summarize that. Perfectly. Uh, that's exactly what it is. It's, you know, in, in, in this world, nothing is going to come to you. People aren't going to give you things. Uh, and so you got to be um, persistent and hungry and relentless about asking questions again, whether it's, whether it's literally or figuratively, but uh, be constantly in pursuit of what, of what your interests are and what you're after. Awesome. Great way to get this thing started. So a little bit of your backstory. Uh, you went to Mount St. Mary University. Like I mentioned in the intro, you're playing the cross. That's where you met your wife. Uh, you guys moved out west together. Yeah. Yeah. So we uh, met in college. Like you mentioned, both studied business. Uh, upon graduation, I had, I had been a student athlete early on, had um, injuries, stress fractures in my shins. So I kind of had to give that up. Bummer. And so I, I took that amount of energy and focus that I would I put into lacrosse into food, which was my second love. Okay. Um, and just really enjoyed cooking on my uh, college breaks and vacations. And, uh, and so I decided I wanted to pursue that further. Um, and if I was going to, I should, I should probably seek out some additional education. Uh, so I had applied to the Culinary Institute of America on the West Coast in St. Helena, within the Napa Valley and, uh, and I got accepted. And so literally within seven days of graduation, we packed up uh, our SUV, put, we had three dogs between us. So we loaded them up and we, uh, oh, we headed man. West. That must've been a fun trip across the country with three dogs. You know, it was it, <laughs> luckily we have amazing dogs and you wouldn't even have known they were in the car, which is insane. But uh, uh, that is crazy. But yeah, we took about a month and a half to do it and ate our way across the country and uh, oh, landed in wine country. So you're in wine country. Uh, you're studying at the Culinary Institute of America, Greystone. Uh, what were you doing for work? I mean, at this point, were you starting to like uh, you, you kind of had made the decision to commit your, your life to food and beverage. Uh, but what was your thought process? What are you thinking at this time? Sure. I mean, I think early on. um for me, I had a job within three or four days of getting out there. And being new to the industry in general, um, I, I had wanted to get my feet wet in school and make sure that that process was going well. So I actually started working at um, the obvious other resource of Napa Valley, which is wineries. Yeah. Uh, and so I was, I was working in a tasting room. Um, and that is when my love and passion for wine really got started. And so, um, you know... Over the next three years, four years, my wife and I worked in, in tasting rooms. We were working on branding for wineries. We were working in production in the vineyards. Um, I was a line cook at a bunch of different places doing some private dinner stuff. Um, you know, we really got schooled in, in as much as Napa Valley had to offer us, um, which has shaped us in our approach to hospitality and, and the restaurant industry so much. Okay. So I'm kind of just taking a stab in the dark here i'm assuming you graduated 2007 you're 32 years old now i'm 32 years old i'm assuming we graduated college around the same time then you went out to culinary school two-year program yeah it was an associate's degree for two years so you graduated in 2009 years yep okay so you graduated in 2009 ish yeah exactly and uh you opened in 2011 so you had three years from the time you graduated culinary school to figure out, you know, what are we going to do? What did that process of uh, developing your vision look like? How did you, how did you make it happen? Who did you go to to help you make it happen? Take us through that whole sure. process. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a, a wild story that I'll try to summarize as best I can, but you know, I think um, 
after graduation, I went, I mean, literally the day that we were graduating, all my classmates were, you know, had their family in town and were chatting about who was going to the French laundry and who was going here and all these celebratory dinners. And uh, I had opening night uh, of Bottega, which was uh, Michael Chiarello's newest restaurant. And I was the pasta cook. So I was literally just like, you know, riddled with uh, stress about how quick can I get out of the ceremony so I can get on my station and be ready to rock for opening night. So, you know, I was with him for uh, several months and uh, the madness of opening and then did a couple other chef jobs um, and, and just decided that I wanted to, to sort of take a break from being on the line. Um, you know, I, it's sort of hard in that, in that environment to be in one of the most beautiful places in the world and, you know, be indoors under fluorescent lights for you know 16 hours a day. And, um, but, you know, I also understood that at, at that age, that was, you know, that was where I needed to do um, I put my time in and, and wanted to. Um, but then I started, you know, at the same time as all this happening, my interest in wine was growing exponentially. So I, uh, I went back into wine production, started taking winery operations classes, spent a couple harvests as like a, a assistant winemaker and, and was on that road to pursue that. And I, and I, I summarize that easily by saying that, um, you know, I could be in the vineyards all morning in the cellar all afternoon and, uh, be home to cook and uh, have dinner with my, my wife then. And, and sit out and look at the at the mountains. So it was it was sort of you know it was the best of both worlds. Nice man. Um, so I want to tap the brakes a little bit here because um, make sure I have the a clear uh, vision of what you're explaining. Uh, seven months you were at uh, at this restaurant. What was the name of the restaurant again? I'm sorry, Bottega. Bottega. Yeah. Bottega. Uh, and then you left to go back to wine, uh, or, or were you doing both the like, kind of parallel side by side? No, I had I had been working in wine up till that point. Left to go open that restaurant. Um, uh, with, with those guys and then decided that, uh, yeah, I wanted to get back into doing some wine stuff, but more specifically into winemaking because my culinary mind was sort of diving into how, you know, flavors were developed in, um, in the vineyard. And so I, I, I kind of jumped and, and headed down that road. Uh, so during the seven months being a part of Bottega, Bottega, but am I saying that correctly? Yeah. B O T T E G A. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Being a part of this restaurant opening, uh, what did you learn through, through that experience? I mean, would you consider this a, a, a great time of your life? Because I mean, just, just going through that process. And I think it's a great advice. If you're going to be, uh, if you have aspirations of opening your own restaurant, it's, I don't think it's enough to just get ex- experience working in restaurants, go sure. join a team that's opening and, and be, you know, a fly on the wall and learn from the mistakes. If, if you can do that three or four times for somebody else and get it, become a pro. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, what were some of the lessons it. you picked yeah, up? You nailed it. And, and that's so true. Um, you know, I, I think at that time I was still early twenties and, you know, I was a line cook working in one of the busiest stations uh, in that restaurant. And so while I would like to think that I, was able to see a lot of the operational things that were happening or, you know, really sort of learn from these opening days. Uh, I tell you what, I was in front of 12 burners with my head down for, you know, 12, 14 hours a day, just digging to stay alive. Um, but I would say that, you know, I think I, I was prepared for at least the intensity of it. And I knew that, um, you know, it certainly wasn't a walk in the park. The reality of it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 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 So um, as much as I'd like to think I got more out of that, as related to, you know, later in my life, uh, opening a restaurant or entrepreneurship, um, I'd say I just learned how to, you know, turn and burn and, and move my ass <laughs> yeah, man. Um, and do things with consistency. Okay. Um, so you decided to get back into wine production, that side of things. Uh, what was that experience like? I think that, um, you know, I, I, our time in Napa was so formative because um, I often describe this and I don't think I realized this till after we left, but, you know, um, 
everyone has such a high regard for the earth. I know that sounds kind of silly, but everyone in wine, um, you know, their income, their livelihood is dictated by the weather, by the harvest. Um, and then everyone in the food industry, for the most part, is, is equally in pursuit of, um, you know, the finest products we can get. And the closer that they can be grown to where they're going to end up on the plate and the deeper relationship that we can develop with these producers, um, it just changes your whole approach to cooking and eating, um, but also the lifestyle. And so I think that, you know, holistically, when we look, reflect on our time out there, it just completely changed the way that we eat, that we drink, that we think about life. Um, and, and the wine side was just amazing because I got to, you know, in that world, it's like as hands off as possible. You know, it's not about you as the winemaker. It's about expressing the terroir and the grapes. And, and that was so interesting to me and spoke to me. Um, and those kind of th- that concept really played out years later as we began to open our own businesses. Yeah, not many people know this about me, uh, but I spent a year as an assistant winemaker on the East Coast, and right on. Yeah, a lot of you know, it's it's a lot of like it's hard work, and it's it's not easy work too to really know how to bring the most out of that wine, the the chemistry that's involved with it. Uh, did you enjoy that, or was it kind of a surprise for you to actually like to get in? Were you making the wine, or were you working for in the the tasting yes. room? Or? Yes, yes, I, I was working. I there were a couple harvests and, um, you know, so again, I was doing the grunt work, right? That's yeah. what we're supposed Cleaning to do. Cleaning out tanks, yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I'll never forget, there was a period of time during the early fermentation of this uh, this Cabernet, small Cabernet house uh, in St. Helena that uh, I was in charge of doing pump overs, which is basically, you know, pulling the, the juice out of the bottom, put, funneling it back over the top via pumps to wet the skins and keep them uh, in contact with the juice to promote extraction of color and flavor. And, and uh, I had to do it every four hours. So I was sleeping on, on site in this little tiny cabin. Uh, and for 11 days straight, every four hours I was doing pump overs. And I just remember, you know, come day nine or 10, it's, uh, it's 4 a.m. And I'm looking at all the pumps and I have all the hoses connected and I'm just standing there just thinking like there's, you know, millions of dollars of, of some of the finest <laughs> Napa Cabernet within my hands here. I better not screw this up. Right. Um, and luckily I didn't and it worked out really well. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't in charge of, of creating flavor profiles or, you know, blending or any of that kind of stuff, but just being around it yeah. uh, was so inspiring to me. And, you know, I'm somebody who is so inspired and driven by tradition. And so, you know, just to think that uh, I had a hand in a couple of vintages that, you know, was practicing something that, uh, you know, people have been doing for a thousand years was, was pretty magical. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, for me, uh, it helped me realize that I love drinking wine, but I'm not a huge fan of making it. (laughs) Well, you know, I think it's like, there's that you hear people say, Hey, you know, uh, everyone should at least be, uh, work in a restaurant at some point in their life to fully understand it. Right. It's the same thing. I mean, you, you know, until you are, until you are witnessing that process, you have no idea what goes into a bottle of wine. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, it's just, it's, it's agreed. Um, yeah. There's immense amount of hard work that goes into that. So when did the conversation of, okay, let's head back East. Uh, what are we going to do when we get there? And like, when did you know you're going to open your own restaurant? Take me through that process of making yeah. it happen. Gladly brother. And, and there was no plans. <laughs> I'll start <laughs> with that. I mean, we, um, you know, my wife is from a, a large East coast Italian family um, I'd say she's more of an East Coast gal than a, than a West Coast one. And we've been out in California for almost five years and, and she was sort of itching to get back. Um, we had talked about starting a family. And so 
it just kind of became time. We had a couple conversations about it and we decided that, that, um, you know, if she hadn't, uh, in- encouraged me, I'll, I'll say it that I'd still be out there. No doubt. Yeah. That was sort of my place. But, um, we came back, uh, just a day before Christmas in 2010, um, with no plans. We were going to, the only plan we had was to stay in town until March till the birth of our niece, uh, and then go to, go to Europe and go to, uh, Italy and France and tap on some contacts that we had made in the wine industry and, you know, prolong reality and see if we could pick up some vintages, uh, and some winemaking jobs over there. That was kind of the plan if there was any. Um, so we got back, between Christmas and New Year's, there was um, a family friend that called us and said, hey, you know, we heard you guys are back in town. Um, we, we don't know what your plans are, but there's this little restaurant in Lancaster that just closed, and we think it'd be great for you guys. And I <laughs> quickly said, that's very sweet. Thanks for the call, but no thanks. Um, you know, my, my proverbial bags for Europe were packed, and uh, I wasn't going to let anything like that get away, let alone, you know, we had no experience and no um, – no plans of doing that that quick. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, my wife is a real estate junkie and uh, we were coming to visit her grandmother in Lancaster two days later. And uh, uh, unbeknownst to me, she set up a, a showing, pulls up in front of this place and says, let's just go look. The, uh, the famous last words, let's go look. Yeah, right. Anyways, um, you know, the restaurant had been, had closed a, a couple months early, um, or it was basically turnkey. So the, the dining room was actually set. Um, all the equipment was there. So, you know, in that sense, it was very easy to begin to imagine us in that setting. Um, I would think I was hoping that the apartment above was going to be terrible, uh, which we could never live there and thus never operate the restaurant and we could bag the whole thing. And we got upstairs and the apartment was incredible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they had almost probably spent too much money finishing the apartment. Um, I remember we went and sat down at lunch that day and just didn't really talk, just sort of our minds were racing. And um, and then a few weeks later, we had an offer in and um, we were on our way. And uh, wow. on our way to what, we didn't quite know, but it was a 28-seat restaurant. Uh, it was on the bottom floor of and it is on the bottom floor of a row home. Uh, so we lived upstairs in the apartment. And, um, you know, the nice thing was that a lot of the bones were there. So we could get in, do the cosmetic changes we wanted, make it our own, but, you know, not lose our shirts. And, and that's truly why we decided to go for it. Uh, at the end of the day, it was a matter of if we don't do this, are we going to ask ourselves, um, you know, as years go by, what if? Um, and, and what's the worst thing that can happen if we do do this? Uh, let's just say we fail miserably. Um, you know, we didn't have to invest our life savings into it and we'll move on and we'll recover and and we'll always know that maybe it wasn't for us. I liken it to sort of uh, us dipping our foot in the pool and seeing if uh, how the temp felt, seeing if if we wanted to swim. Mm. And so I want to learn a little bit more about your wife. So what was her role out West? Like she was a business school. uh, She went to business school with you. Uh, You went out West. You're at the Culinary Institute of America. What was she doing? Was she continuing to work in the industry? What kind of experience was she gathering at this time? Yeah, you know, actually, she um, she was really entirely focused in wine, um, okay. and worked in the wine industry for several uh, great wineries out there, doing everything from branding and marketing to hospitality operations to tasting room stuff. Um, you know, we would work together when I would do private dinners, and she would be my my front of house, and I would be cooking, and we'd be serving eight to ten, twelve, fifteen people, and we'd pair wines. And so, in that regard, um, you know, I think that we knew we could work together. We probably did 50 or 60 of those dinners over the couple of years. And, um, and, you know, kind of developed a nice little 
side business out of it. Uh, one sort of leading to the next to the next and, you know, very quickly found ourselves in some pretty outrageous just opportunities that were sort of above our, we we're punching above our weight class, if you know what I mean. Uh, and so, Hey, we, you know, our motto then when we were mid twenties and pairing um, dishes with wines from the seventies and eighties and, you know, not really entirely know what we were doing. It was just yeah. fake it till you make it. <laughs> so, you know, and we, and we just, yeah, it was great. So you came back 2010, uh, right at, not long after we're going into the new year, 2011, this woman approaches you, says it's just a great opportunity, restaurant, apartment above it. Uh, I'm assuming, you know, with the school loan debt, you, you, you went to school tw- like twice. Uh, she went to right. school. Uh, right. What was so good about this deal? How was it so attainable? How did you guys make it happen? Did you have to take money out for the bank? Did you have help from friends and family? How did you actually pull it off? Yeah, I mean, we definitely had to get commercial lending, which, you know, we, we were just relocating to the East Coast, um, had no uh, job history or financial assets or anything on the East Coast since we had left, you know, essentially five years earlier. So as you can imagine, um, every bank closed the door in our face. <laughs> yeah. I, I had no chef ownership business history. She also had, you know, was, we were both terribly underqualified. Now you know um, why I'm asking this question. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. In, in every way possible. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's the best part of the story is that, you know, it was truly young, young and naive, but not dumb, right? Young, naive and determined as yeah. I say. And, and, and we went to, you know, eight or nine regional banks and, uh, and while it sounds kind of like a, just, it just happened and it was this idea. I mean, obviously, you know, the way I, my mind operates is I get on, I'm, I'm very focused and I spent a lot of time thinking about and researching things. And so um, as we were building up to this and we decided that, you know, we were going to make an offer and Lancaster seemed like a interesting, growing, emerging market. Um, you know, I was day and night, I was researching demographics and development studies and um, what restaurants were here and what the opportunity we felt like it was. Take us through but, that, um, that thought process. What things were you noticing? What things were you picking up on? And how did you capitalize on this, this data that you, were, that you were going through and filtering for? I mean, I think, I think truly um, at that point, I, I, I'd say that we, weren't, we didn't necessarily know. Um, you know, we were still, again, we were six, eight, seven years out of college, not really experienced in the business world. And so I think what I was looking for was at least the opportunity that the market was right for it. I wouldn't say there was things that I knew, let's say, hey, let's say the mean income needs to be this and the population needs to be this. And, but I think that, um, you know, for the cuisine and the, and the farm to tables cooking that we do, uh, is there anybody else doing that? And um, can we, you know, financially, can this restaurant, being a BYO, which are really prevalent in Pennsylvania, but, uh, you know, without a liquor license, can we uh, function? Is it sustainable? And what do the numbers look like? And what's our, you know, what's our business plan shaping up to be? And, um, and so, you know, that, take, that takes a while. And, and truly, it's, it's about uh, projections, right? I mean, it's, you're guessing at a lot of things. Um, but I think that as time went on, as we began to craft the idea, the concept, and, um, you know, affirm that Lancaster was a good spot, it, they had seen tremendous growth over the past 10 years, it was projected to see equal that or more um, and was, was truly, I think, the thing that spoke to us the most was that uh, the resources in this area for us, for, for farm-to-table cooking, um, were unbelievable. And perhaps outside of the Hudson River Valley on the East Coast, uh, there may not be another as fertile and as agriculturally rich area as, as Lancaster County. 
Um, there's, there's a tremendous food and uh, agricultural history here. Um, but no one was at the time was really sort of dialing it up. And, and the way I describe that is, you know, now we're getting seeds from Italy and France and growing all these wonderfully obscure vegetables that at the time, everyone's growing great tomatoes and great corn, but um, there wasn't a whole lot of diversity. Mm. Uh, I want to get into that. that the opportunity. Was I want to get into this later because one thing I picked up through my research on you is the relationship you have with farmers. And uh, I want to save that. I want to put that on the back burner because there's sure. a lot yeah. of value there. But I want to go a little bit deeper on uh, being a young couple who is about to start a family who has school loan debt, who got turned down from 10 to uh, 11 other banks before making it happen. What was the thing that you did differently with the, the 12th bank? How, I don't know how many banks it was, but like, yeah, how did you find yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd say that by then, um, you know, we had, we had acquired a little bit of, um, private family, um, investorship, small amounts, but I think the number came down a little bit yeah. okay, of what okay. we needed. But I think we also, by then, you know, look, when we went to our first bank, I'm, I wish I could have, uh, recorded our pitch because I'm sure it was, you know, terrible and uh, and two kids just kind of talking about something they don't know about yeah so i'd say that you know by the time and i think that's that that's the those, those traits of persistence and resilience began to build but our focus you know began to hone in and we became more determined because um you know we were we were committed to giving this a go and and um we're tired of being maybe you know treated like young young couple that didn't know what they're talking about so we we continued to dig in and do more research and find more, you know, um, things to support our business plan and uh, ways we we're going to get better. And so I, th- I think that truly, just by the time we'd gotten to the end of talking to these commercial lenders, um, we had a, we had a pretty strong pitch and we had yeah. a lot of conviction. I mean, just, and uh, and we're determined. So there's a few things to pull from this. You know, don't don't quit after the first bank says no. Get out there, refine, ref- maybe even go to the banks that you think you don't have a chance with and just get used to like pitching it right and then you know maybe start like like, we're definitely not gonna get the loan from this bank well let's just get you good at like telling the story and refining and and delivering our business plan and all that and just keep showing up keep refining it keep going back figure out ways to get money from family change the situation get the feedback why did you say no what would you what would would have taken a yes and then okay i'm gonna go back and work on that uh and just continue to refine and make it uh come into fruition. Uh, I'm curious, how much money did you think you need? How much are you asking for? Do you mind getting into that kind of detail? No, that's a great question. I think that, um, God, so much, so much has changed since then, but I think we were looking for like 150,000, 150,000, uh, which, which would be, you know, a big chunk of the down payment and would cover our, uh, build out expenses. So that's really not that 150, much. 180. Yeah, no, of course it's not terrible, but I think, you know, again, what did we have to sell them on? Nothing. You know, we were, we had a hope and a dream truly. Yeah. And, and, um, and so, you know, Hey, look, banks are looking at like how we're going to make money on these guys. And, and, uh, you know, we also had the fact that this is one of the riskiest, you know, um, highest turnover industries working against us. So, um, you know, we have a tremendous relationship with, with the gentleman who, who took that faith in us and, um, have, has proven his, his wager right, uh, year in, year out. And so we're really proud of that. But um, yeah. Did he ever you know, tell you why he said yes? No, that's a great question. I think that we kind of joked about it here and there. I don't know that I ever candidly asked him. Um, but I think, you know, I think that he had, he had some confidence in us. And mm-hmm. he also was aware of how the landscape was evolving. And we were able to, you know, give him confidence that we were going to be a pivotal piece of that puzzle. And we could fit in on the upswing. 
Uh, so, yeah. so you're basically uh, selling him what the future of hospitality looked like, how nobody in Lancaster was doing it yet. And you're going to be cutting edge. You're, you're ahead of the curve. Is that kind of the argument you had? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. And I think that, you know, nothing that we do sort of, uh, we'll get to this in a little bit, but cooking or, or hospitality is, is, uh, is reinventing the wheel. So in, yeah. in that regard, you know, but yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I just, I think it was all about um, going in with nothing but a hundred percent faith in yeah. the idea and, and letting that, you know, seep out of our pores while we were talking to him and, and just convince him that, you know, it was the right thing to do. The other thing that is kind of uh, glaring at me that I want to draw attention to is the idea that this was a turnkey operation. Was it was it turnkey? So you didn't have to invest in equipment, all the, the permitting licensing. I'm, I'm sure, assuming you knew was going to be a, the, like probably fine. Uh, talk to us why that's a big deal. Just not having to really put a lot of money in an investment and build up. Maybe you guys did some rebranding and things of that nature, but what was your overhead in that regard? Yeah, I think that that's, you know, Hey, look, we, we, again, we were young and naive and, and did not have um, the experience to back up this, this sort of uh, leap of faith that we were taking besides, you know, what our hearts and souls were telling us and the confidence we had in ourselves. Um, But that softened the blow. I mean, that made, that made the, uh, the deep end a lot less deep, if you will, knowing that, um, Hey, if we screw this up and it doesn't work, we still have an asset to sell. We can get out and move on. Um, but also the fact that, you know, Hey, I didn't know how to lay out a restaurant at the time. And, uh, I didn't maybe know what the best equipment to fit in that space would be. And, uh, and so a lot of the decisions kind of had been made for us and we really just had to make it our own, like you said, you know, and, and change the decor and get some new plates and fixtures and, and things that made it unique to us. But, um, yeah, a lot of that stuff was out of the way, which, which truly allowed us to focus on the food and the way we were going to make people feel, uh, you know, which are incredibly important and, uh, and, and foundational elements of, of what we built. So one other thing, and this is the last thing we'll move forward. Uh, I'm going to actually use one of your quotes. Uh, we have taken the dichotomy of work life in real life and distilled it or distilled them into one. This idea of like work life blending, uh, intentional living where there's no work life balance. There's just life. And this became your life, <laughs> which I, I'm really behind. And I think it's a matter of creating that situation that's ideal for yourself. Um, but one thing I want to point out to kind of compound off of this, you guys didn't have a mortgage. You know, like you had your restaurant that was your house, your home, you lived there right. and you're living upstairs. So you also um, you're keeping your costs really low, which is something I admire. And I'm making a lot of assumptions right now. Um, I'm assuming that because you, you lived there, like, I mean, that's, you know, another grand to $2,000 mortgage or rent that you guys did not have to worry about that you could put back into the business and live intentionally and make this thing freaking happen. Uh, do you want to reflect on that? Yeah, I think that's a, a, a fair assessment. I mean, I think that, you know, again, all these things contributed to, to making this feel a lot less risky in the sense of, you know, oh, we don't have to go find somewhere to live on top of that and add additional expenses. We could truly grind this out. Uh, and, you know, both her and I were, were college athletes and uh, are very motivated, determined people. And so not for one minute did we doubt that, yeah, we weren't going to work hard enough to make this work. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the tool, a lot of these, a lot of these things were all kind of falling into place, which, you know, you, you're sort of describing that three week period from the day we looked at it to the day we made an offer. Um, we, you know, we continually had conversations and hashed it out and just said, Hey, if there was ever a better opportunity to do this uh, in a market that 
you know, is still emerging and that we're not going to spend a fortune on, this might be it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't do this in Napa Valley. We couldn't do this in California. Yeah. We couldn't afford it. And so, uh, so, you know, all signs are pointing to give it a shot. Yeah. <laughs> so we did. The yeah. reason why I wanted to draw attention to this, I recently had uh, Federico uh, Castellucci on the show from mm. Castellucci Hospitality Group out in Atlanta. And uh, when he graduated from Cornell and went back to the family business, like he, his main focus wasn't on money coming in. It was on wh- where can we patch the holes? How can we get as minimalist as possible and spend as little as possible? Because many people don't think of like the money going out. Um, and I feel like one of the best ways you can be successful is getting super lean early on and really like barely do, like setting yourself up so you, you can keep as much money in the business and not have to spend money, uh, you know, on life. Uh, no, it's, it's, you know, frankly, we also didn't have time. Yeah. <laughs> we had no time to spend on life. I mean, I remember just on, on our days off, we'd be horizontal and, you know, just trying to recover from the madness to, to muster enough energy to go through the next week. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Cool. Uh, I think we can move on. So you guys, you, you get the loan, you're going to open, take us through the, the actual process of opening. Uh, how did that go? What were the biggest challenges in the, like the actual, we, this, we own this now, let's make it happen. What did that look like? Uh, you know, I think that um, we had a concept, which, you know, I didn't even call it a concept. I think it's sort of kitschy because it, it wasn't that it was just, you know, the name is uh, as it's written, M a parenthesis, I close parenthesis, S O N. Uh, Maison is the French word for house or home. You know, we, we lived upstairs and we cooked uh, and had guests into our dining room every night. So truly, you know, we, we looked at it as like, hey, we're inviting people into our home every single night. Uh, and then if you extract the I uh, out of that, it's our last name. So, you know, there's this duality that really made sense that, that wasn't just a concept that we drummed up, but was truly like, hey, this is a pure reflection on our love for this game and, uh, and our love for you know, just taking care of people. Yes. Uh, and so that, that really is what it came down to. So, you know, when it, we were also very limited on I had six burners and a flat top and two ovens. And so the menu had to be small and, and I had one other cook and it. And so, you know, it, everything was, was tailored to this very intimate, very um, sort of European way of cooking. Uh, I often liken it to, you know, if you were traveling through the countryside of France and uh, you pulled into a little village and there was a husband and wife who were cooking out of their garden uh, and cooking, you know, what inspired them and the foods that were growing at the time uh, with a lot of love, that, that's what Maison is. Um, I love it. So, you know, it's just, it's a converse to a lot of other experiences you can get. And I think yeah. I spoke to a lot of people. What we're getting into right now, and I'm, I love that we're kind of coming here organically, is this what your brand was, who you were, what your brand was. And I think a, what I've noticed a trend in a lot of successful people is when they're developing their brand, they're not saying, uh, what do we want people to think we are? They're right. saying, they're asking, who are we? Like, what are we? And let's be that thing. You know, let's, let's live our brand. And there's so much power in just living your brand, having incredible values and being transparent. Uh, and was that kind of going through your mind? Like, how, like were you, how, take us through that mental process of sure. developing your, your identity and your brand. Yeah, I think it's a great point you make, you know, especially in today's day and age where, you know, there's so much money spent and so, and such big campaigns for branding and, brand management that you, know, you can almost create a, a story or image out of nothing. But, you know, for us, um, again, we had a shoestring budget and we, you know, at the end of the day, we knew how we wanted to take care of people. And um, I just wanted to cook simple food that I had confidence in. And, and so it was all about framing it around that, you know, we were going to buy food from farmers in the area because 
why the hell would you buy anything otherwise? Uh, we were going to cook it really simply and we were going to serve it with a lot of love. And so, you know, what, then we, we started taking that as the idea. What, what sort of visual cues do we want to um, put in the space that sort of evoke that feeling of the rustic countryside? Um, and we have a chalkboard menu. And so the menu changes, you know, almost every couple of days based on what's coming and going. And so it was just about being organic, like you said, being, being authentic. Um, she was in the front of the house every night. I was in the kitchen. Um, you know, and it was just, it, it was just this beautiful, you know, identity of, of mom, pa shop that, mm. that that's all we knew. That's all, that's all we planned on. And, and, uh, and that's all we had money for. How many people <laughs> so were on your opening it. team? Four. You <laughs> Four and a dishwasher. Wife. I mean, it was, it was my wife in the front of the house with a server, uh, who is still with us today. Christian, he, he wow. manages Maison for us and is a, a part of the family. Oh, and man, I had, I had another dude. cook and we had a dishwasher, you know, and it was, um, do everything ourselves, uh, from the linens upstairs and, um, to, you know, baking bread and making the butter and, uh, every element of it we were, we were touching. Uh, I, I love, I love this idea of impact. I love this idea of having such a close connection to few people. What's the significance of that? Yeah, I think that, you know, I think as we were trying to, to sort of develop who we were as a restaurant, who we were as a business and our identity in a community that we didn't know very well and that didn't know us, you know, that was the other thing. It wasn't like we had grown up here and, and had contacts and, you know, had support from people just to, you know, let's make sure they're doing okay. You know, it was truly an area that we knew very little about except for the, the research we put in and we, we knew nobody. So, you know, um, I, one of the stories I often reference is that, you know, a couple winters in, uh, it's February and, you know, it's shitty weather out. Nobody wants to go out, let alone come to sort of a fine dining BYO. And, you know, maybe we served four people on a snowy, cold Wednesday night. Um, and there are some times where you're asking yourself, man, is this, is this it? But what we said to ourselves every single time was, let's make sure that these four people understand who we are, what our intentions are. And that we can give them the best experience that they're not getting anywhere else. And so that those four people walk out enchanted with, uh, with Maison and who we are. And then, you know, maybe the next night turns into five. And let's make sure those five people have the most amazing experience. And that turns into six. Yes. And it was just that focus on that small scale with that much empathy and thoughtfulness and hospitality that, that has, you know, gotten us to where we are. So... What I love about this, and there's a lot of people that will argue, oh, you shouldn't work in your business. You should be working on your business. And I agree with that. But I also don't think that that happens overnight. I think that you need to spend a certain amount of time working in your business, recreating yourself and others. And when it's you, your wife, and three other people that you have to worry about, how much easier is it for you to transform three lives with two people than transform 15 lives with two people and have an impact and really, really care for and mold a, a future person or a, a, you know, like mentor sure. to develop these yeah. people. And now you said it like you're, you're the, the person that you had start with you is now the managing Mason. It's, it's, it's his restaurant in a sense. And now you're sure. going on and you, you're working on other projects, but it takes real time to transform somebody that doesn't happen overnight. Um, and no. you need to have that presence. You need to set the example. You need to, to set the standard. The educate, give the skills. I'm on a tear right now. I'm sorry. This is your time to shine, but I love <laughs> Make that. You feel just, good. Keep it going. Dude, you, you, you're you're a perfect example of that. Uh, and I don't know. I think we just try to go for that big thing right away. What do you think? Do you think a lot of people get in trouble trying to go too big too soon? 
Yeah, I think that you know, actually, you know, what you just described was sort of the situation that we're in now. Um, you know, we went from a, a six-employee restaurant to now we have fifty-six employees uh, between both properties. And you know, Luca is a hundred twenty-seat restaurant when the patio is open. Uh, Maison's twenty-eight seats, and so it, um, you know, very quickly our our role within this organization changed because we had to start working on it not in it, you know, mm-hmm. we had to start working smarter, not harder. Um, and also, you know, in the Maison, early Maison days, um, you know, we were, we, the workload never ended. You know, we were doing repairs, we were painting, we were, you know, plumbing toilets. We were, I mean, you name it, you know, we had, we had dirt under our fingernails and, and blood on our, you know, we were living it uh, yeah. every single way. And most of the time it's not glamorous. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, most of the time, yeah, we reflect on those days and we're just thankful we survived, to be honest. Did you uh, have our, any time? Our marriage survived, most importantly. <laughs> do you have, do you reflect back at this time and have like feelings of regret ever? Or were you, did you ever feel like you didn't have work life balance? Was that ever? No, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'd say there's no regret, period. Um, no, no, we don't look back at it that way by any means. But, you know, there was, yeah, there was a lot of those uh, several early years that were really tough. But, you know, that, it's during that time that develops who you are as a person and it tests your, your fortitude and your resilience. Um, and so you're either going to respond to that and come back hungrier and more determined, or you're going to just quickly realize that this world and this business and industry isn't for you. Um, and that's okay too. Did you ever know, have that, that thought that like, well, it sounds like you didn't have that thought of regret and you always knew it was for you, but what was like, what did the conversation look like? How did you have this conversation to talk yourself out of that shitty place to be in a better place, to be in a more positive place? Uh, you know, there's a lot of days where you're, you're, you know, doing the dishes because you can't afford to pay the, pay the dishwasher. So you don't have one at the moment. And like I said, there's those cold winter nights where you're only doing a few covers and you're, you're looking around and you're saying, man, uh, you know, some of our peers are doing these things and, you know, we took this risk and is this going to pay off? And is this what we really want our life to be? Um, but you know, look, everybody in every walk of life is going to experience that. And, and that is only what shapes your, your focus and determination more. And so, um, every time I, you know, we had doubts or had questionable thoughts, it was like, Hey, look, how can we get smarter and, uh, and ultimately ensure that we're getting, you know, more people through the door. And so, um, we were also wonderful support to each other. You know, we always said that our marriage is going to come first. And if that ever begins to suffer for the thing and, um, and you know, my wife's my best friend. And so, there's days where I, you know, there's still days where I come home and I'm aggravated or frustrated or on a high and, you know, she's there to be my counterpart and, and vice versa. She's frustrated about something and I'm the voice of reason. And so I think the fact that we've been through this together from ground up from, you know, five employees to 56, it, um, you know, w- w- together we're a pretty uh, formidable team. Yeah. And, and, and we're there for, and, you know. There's... Sorry, keep going. If you do, you want to? Finish? No, that's it. No, you're good, bud. So there's one other thing I want to kind of dive into before moving on to kind of where we are, kind of already getting into the whole scaling from four employees, five employees to uh, over fifty employees, um, and that's the idea of um, how close of a relationship you have with your farmers. I mean, you have farmers that are growing produce specifically for you, your request. Uh, what is the impact? of that on your business and on other people? Yeah, I think that, 
you know, I left Northern California and came back and um, I, I, I often try to describe our experience there with this sentence, but um, I, w- I would say that life in, in Napa, you know, as locals, we would ask two questions. Uh, there were the two, only two questions that mattered each day. And it was, what are you eating for your next meal? And what are you drinking with it? Mm. Um, you know, I mean, truly people who lived there lived there because of the culture of food, wine and lifestyle. And from the food aside, it was, look, we cook with the seasons because that's what you do. And we had the most incredible produce in the country and parts of the world. And, um, why would you screw this? You know, why would you, uh, alter this beautiful food that the earth has given us, uh, and obscure it and dilute the flavor, you know, mm-hmm. there, for example, our, our little cottage we lived in had fig trees outside and, there's truly nothing more special uh, as a young cook than walking out the door, ripping a fig, uh, nudging it off the tree because it's bursting with, um, you know, ripeness. Yeah. And uh, and you just tear it open in your hand and it's so warm from the sun and maybe you just ingest it and enjoy it right there. I mean, there's nothing that's more primal and more um, tying you to the earth and the, and the produce than that. So, you know, there's experiences like that every day. And so I came back East and we said, Hey, if we're going to do this, we need, obviously, again, that was a huge piece of the puzzle was that Lancaster County um, has so much uh, agricultural history and such incredible soil and resources that that was here. Right. So that, I mean, that, that foundation was already in place. Um, and so for us cook, our, our cooking, our food philosophy is really simple. And, and that is that, um, you know, the shorter distance the food has to travel means that you can push ripeness further on the plant, right? You're achieving more flavor by doing that. But also, um, you know, as, as fruit or vegetables off the vine, they obviously begin to lose their structure, cellular structure, their physical attributes, sugars convert to starch. So the quicker you can get something from harvest to plate, the more flavor impact it's going to have. Mm. And this is something I wanted to mention to you was that, you know, look, I don't have this crazy extensive cooking resume and I'll tell, I'll tell you that I'll tell all my cooks that, you know, by no means am I an expert in, in anything that we do. Um, but I know it works and I know uh, how to cook with integrity and how to prepare food really simply. And I think that over the years, especially in the early days of Maison, I didn't have this, this, you know, really long, extensive cooking resume or these mentor chefs to call or these notebooks and notebooks of, of recipes and techniques I'd written down over the years. You know, I just knew um, I, I read a lot. I mean, I read an insane amount. You know, I always say I'm a student of the game. Uh, and that's part of why, I'm, why I am where I am. Uh, and, and we have these businesses. But it's a simple philosophy. Cook food. That's grown locally, treat it with respect and integrity and, and really let that stand in front. And, and, you know, we're just the shepherds that need to bring that to the plate. I mean, it's like, you know, it can sound cliche these days uh, because, you know, farm to table is a marketable term and everyone's using it. Everyone, including McDonald's, uh, who talks about knowing their lettuce farmers and, you know, <laughs> it's, it's comical to a degree, but um, through that I, I hit Lancaster County running. And I remember for those first few months that I was, we were really working on the concept. I, I was visiting farms in the area and I'll never forget, uh, this happened over and over and over again. But, um, you know, we would, I would pull up to a farm that I called and found their number online and asked to set up a meeting and, and see if I could come and look at the vegetables and look at what they have going on and chat about working together. 
and I'd show up and the whole family would be on the porch, uh, sort of with their heads tilted, looking at me as I drove in, like, wow, he really did show up. And, and who the hell is this guy? And what does he want? And, uh, you know, I, but I had this incredible enthusiasm and I, and I would want to see all the product and get, you know, get my hands dirty and get some mud on my boots. And, you know, I'd spend an hour with them and quickly they could tell I was just genuine. And, and not only was I genuine, but it wasn't about me uh, or my restaurant or my food. It was about, wow, you guys are doing an incredible job here. I would be so lucky if I could work with your food, with your produce, with your products. Um, and that's, that hasn't changed. You know, I mean, we're, they do the hard work and it's our job. I say this all the time. These, the farmers and producers around here and in general, um, they do the hard work and it's our job not to screw it up. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're the jerks if we do. But the other cool but, thing about this story, and I, I was, you were kind of working into it now and I'm happy you're going here because this is where I wanted to take it. What's the impact your restaurant has had on this family? Oh, totally. I mean, so, you know, there's, 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 um, there's several, right. There's a dozen or so that we've been buying exclusively from for years now. And, um, you know, one in particular, a young guy named Alex, uh, who I started working with when he was 17 and I was, you know, 26 and we just opened, um, he was growing all these obscure things that nobody in the area was buying because there just wasn't a market for it. I never forget. I went down to this local food store and was buying uh, my farm eggs from her. She said, Hey, there's this young guy you got to talk to because he, he brings me all this great stuff, all these obscure uh, root vegetables that, you know, he, that were grown during the Incan and Mayan days to these um, petite Alpine strawberries that uh, he, he brought a couple quarts in and wanted to sell to these bitter Italian greens. And I love them and I want to support them, but nobody's buying it. And so immediately I was like, yes, please. And uh, we made fast friends and have been working together side by side for, you know, going on five, six years now. And, and we plan out the seasons and we sit together on the rainy days of January and Feb- the, the cold blustery days and pull out the seed catalogs and we plan our harvest and we say, Hey, what, what worked last year? What didn't work? How was the ripeness on this? What was the yield on that? What do we want more of? What do we want to try new this year? Um, Man. And it's, it, it has taken that idea of farm to table, uh, that intimacy to a whole new level because this- <laughs> we're, we're literally creating our produce guide or, you know, creating the seasons for us. And, um, and it's, it's unbelievable. And it's also unbelievable to expose our cooks and our staff to that. And show Chef. them how you know what food really can be. Jeff, I love this, and this is impact. This is what having an impact on your community looks like. Not just saying, "Oh, we're community driven," but no, like literally being a part of your community, not just serving your community, being intertwined and like entangled into your community uh, and keeping your money in the community. And I think there needs to be more people like this. And it's, it's not the easy path. It's the harder path. It's difficult to do, but it's, I think it's our, it's our obligation to a certain degree. And um, I just want to make an example of you as somebody who sees that value. And I, I, wanna- I appreciate that. I, I actually just want to affirm one thing that you said, and that is you nailed it. Um, it is not the easy thing to do. And frankly, I mean, it's the complete opposite. It is, it takes so much energy, so much time, so much legwork, you know, to call the 15 different people that were getting farm eggs and uh, only squash blossoms. And then somebody else who's just selling us these incredible tomatoes to somebody else who's, I mean, it takes so much work, but, but that's just, that's the way we do it. I, 
I was chatting with one of my chefs um, yesterday, and I, I kind of posed to him a question that that uh, I had gotten from you, and and he said, "I always appreciate that, you know, we will never sacrifice flavor for going the easy way. Mm. We always take the hard way. We always take the slow food." Uh, develop flavor, go out of our way to make sure that flavor is leading every decision we make and everything that we do, even if it's the hard way. And nine times out of 10, it's always going to be. Yeah. But the outcome, the the impact, like you said, is is exponential. At that yeah. Point. So there's one more area I want to spend a little time on before we move on to the speed round. And that's this idea of scaling. Uh, you went from five employees, six employees to uh, over 50 employees. You've been open with Luca for... Uh, Two years, two years now, in almost, July. Yeah, yeah, almost two years now. Um, take me through that quickly, or maybe just if even take like a, a ten or fifteen seconds to reflect. What's the biggest lesson you've learned on scaling? What's one thing you would do different again? What advice do you have for my listeners who might be thinking about opening another location? Like, just give us a nugget before moving on. Yeah, that's. A, I mean, man, it's gonna be hard to summarize. I'll do my best. You can but, go you know, a little bit longer. The, the questions you were asking me earlier about, hey, what all went into the opening? You know, this was truly that experience that you were looking for because um, we found. You know, we had been relentlessly searching the real estate market in this area for three years. We had gone to. We had we had been to two dozen real commercial real estate showings. You know, people walking us through this building, telling us what it could be. And each time, you know, you as the entrepreneur shape your vision, say, wow, okay, maybe we could fit here and maybe we can make this work. And, and so then you begin to pursue different spaces to different degrees before then maybe, you know, there's some zoning issues or the, the lease terms aren't right or, um, you know, you name it. And so, through that process, though, you're investing money, right? You're, having, you're getting drawings done. You're uh, submitting zoning applications. You are having design meetings. And uh, at the same time, you're also kind of getting a lot of no's a lot of the, way, a lot of the time. You know, the commercial lenders are saying, well, uh, I don't think we want to be a part of this. Um, or somebody else beats you to a lease on a space. Or there's no showings and available. And you're going months wondering, you know, what the hell, what are we doing here? And so... That, that is a very trying period, the period in which the, the, the unknown, and that was a challenge for us as we were trying to grow from this tiny little, you know, six employee restaurant to, to really chase our dream, which is to create a, a bit more of a sustainable utilitarian restaurant that had a bar that could indulge in all the things that we wanted to, and that we could serve more people. I mean, that was one of the biggest motivating factors about Luca was we want it to be a restaurant that everyone can come to a hub of the community. Um, and, and so, man, what a journey that was. And I think that um, there are, there are so many lessons along the way that, that have shaped this experience. And, uh, but we approached it with the same mentality as Maison, which was, Hey, we're going to be determined. We're going to be focused. Uh, we're not going to let people tell us no. For it. We're not going to take that as an answer because you know they don't control our destiny. We do, and and we're going to continue to dig and dig. And man, I'll tell you, there's some there was days where we just thought, you know what, maybe this isn't this isn't going to happen. You know, we had a lot of doors closed in our face, and uh, you know it was just looking dark. But Chef, give me one of my favorite. Go ahead. I was going to say, give me a specific example of one thing that you didn't know going into this process that you know now that if, if you shared this with my audience, it would make them better. I feel like I cut you off though. Is, is there something you want to drop on us? And maybe you can. Yeah, actually I'll give question. you one thought real quick, which is um, uh, one of my favorite books is the alchemist. Uh, and it is, uh, it's, I, don't know, I think it's probably the most popular and most 
published book in the world. But it's just this simple story of this young shepherd. And, and the, the premise is, is that we never know truly how close we were to realizing our dreams before most people turn back. And I refuse to let that happen. I mean, there were so many days where we just all practicality and logic said, guess what, guys? Wise up. It's not going to happen. Market's not going to support it. You can't find a place. It's not going to work. Move on. Um, and every single day, we came back with another ounce of determination, another little bit of resilience that said, maybe we could look at it this way. Maybe we haven't tried this. And so truly, getting back to my opening um, mantra, uh, the, the building we're in, I, was, I had went to a real estate showing. wasn't going to work. I was pissed off because they tried to hustle us through some stuff. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go knock on doors today. And I'm going to go knock on doors of these buildings that I've been walking past or eyeing up for a long time. Because if I don't ask the question, I'm not going to know the answer. Went to three buildings that day. This was one of them. I, uh, it was a formerly, where we're at right now, it was formerly a wholesale warehouse uh, in a residential area of our wonderful little city. And it was closed to the public because it was wholesale. So it was never open. The doors were always closed and locked. Um, but I saw, man, this place has potential. It just, but it looks dead. There's never any activity. There's never anything going on. So what is going on? When knocked on the door, um, the uh, older gentleman who, who was one of the proprietors came and was disgruntled and annoyed that he had to open the door for me and uh, voiced that displeasure on his face and, and to me. And I just, you know, I said, hey, I uh, gave my business card and I said, I'm a small business owner in the city and um, we're really looking to grow and expand and try to develop our future. And if you have any interest in chatting about the future of this building or the real estate, I'd love for you to call me. He laughed at me, looked me up and down, closed the door on my face. Uh, and so my day had gotten, you know, shittier than it started. Um, but three hours later, his wife called me and I can't describe the feeling I had in my heart and my body, but I'm on the phone with his wife and she says, Hey, I heard you stopped by today. Maybe we should talk. Just so happens that that morning they had discussions of retirement. Um, they later told me that over the, over five years, they'd been approached over a dozen times people had interest in the building, but just happened that that day they had a legitimate long conversation about retirement that they were both committed to. And I happened to knock on the door that afternoon. So months went by every Wednesday. I stopped by at the same time, noon on Wednesday, just to start develop a relationship with these guys. They were, they were an older couple, very old school, didn't have cell phones, operated a very old school business. And I could tell that I had to demonstrate who I was, what my intentions were, um, but most of all, that I had integrity and that I was honest and, and uh, you know, was going to be worth their time, but, but more so worth carrying on the future of this building potentially. And so I, I, many days, they didn't even let me in the building. We would chat for five minutes uh, out front and it would be about you know, all the small talk you can imagine. And finally, after two or three months of showing up relentlessly, uh, they just opened the door and said, just go look around. And so I did. And... Um, all of my suspicions from the outside looking in and saying, wow, th this potential here were uh, validated. And then the architecture of this building is incredible. It was built in the 40s as a grocery store. Um, and then they took it over in the 70s. And there are these incredible barreled ceiling that was hidden by a drop ceiling, these unbelievable pine floors. Needless to say, um, you know, I, we had developed this relationship over time. We put a deal together, they were able to retire and sell their business. Uh, we were able to buy the building and create our next uh, venture 
And so, you know, I think one of the most poignant things about this project is this was a building that was built for food. Uh, and so we were able to sort of bring back that element, that soul that it was originally built for, uh, to what it is today. And, and so we developed it with an architecture firm who, uh, who helped us design and, and build it out. We share the building with them now. Um, but you know, it, 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 that, that's the perfect tie-in because uh, it would have been easy so many times to just succumb to the frustration and, the, and you know, again, the doors being closed in our face. But, but we just always came back with a little bit more resilience, a little bit more idea of, of how are we going to find another way in, if you will. Yeah, man. What a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And any, any other advice you want to get out? Uh, I had asked, I had asked that question, um, before when I interrupted you, I don't know if you, if that was your answer, if you wanted to compound on it with something else, if it was your answer, it was a great answer. Uh, but I don't want to cut you short. Anything else you want to drop on us before we move to uh, the speed round? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, nobody's ever going to believe in something as much as you are right? Uh, no one's ever going to see your vision. You know, I, Lucas is, there's a kind of a funny, when we first created the uh, operating entity five years ago that we were going to start processing paperwork for, uh, it had pizza in the name. No big deal. We knew we were going to have a wood burning oven. We knew that Neapolitan style pizza would be a piece of Luca if it ever came to fruition. But when it came to the day we had to put that orange uh, liquor control board placard in our window. I didn't want pizza on that. I didn't want pizza on that sign as part of our operating entity name, because I knew that people would create their own conclusions of what this place was going to be. And very quickly it was going to be, why are the Maison people opening a pizza joint? And so every time I described this place, Luca, I would always say wood, wood fired pizza would be the fifth or sixth thing I would talk about because I wanted it to be a place that was fun and vibrant and lively and this beautiful blend of old world and, and some modern elements and about the food offering and about the beverage and Italian wines and hospitality and conviviality. Oh, and we're also going to do incredible wood oven pizza. So, you know, I think what I'm getting at is that we can't be afraid to follow through with the vision that we have because nobody else is going to entirely interpret it um, the way that you see it. You know, I think we came to this area. I know a lot of, a lot of chefs uh, in different areas who feel like, well, we probably have to have some of this on the menu or have to do this because the market, you know, supports them. We opened our first restaurant. Everyone's telling us you're going to do what you're not going to have salmon. You're not going to have Caesar salad. You're not going to have a chicken breast. Um, no, because those things didn't interest me. And I wasn't going to put food on the menu that I didn't believe in. And so I think at the end of the day, it's this implicit belief in what we do, what we offer, how we treat people, this, um, you know, that, that, that cannot be sacrificed and shouldn't be. And if you're going into a situation where, you know, you're working uh, with, a, with a, your a tenant, with the landlord, or you have some business partners that are maybe saying, hey, you know, we really don't think you should do it this way. If you have to sacrifice your vision, it's not right. And, uh, and it won't be right in my opinion. So, uh, we've been lucky that, that we've, that we've always stuck to our guns and, and done what we felt is right. And not because it's a, it's a selfish approach. Um, but because we have so much energy and belief in sharing the things that we love with others, that it, it is palpable. It's, it's, it's a tangible element at that point. People can feel it, man. What a great conversation. I've loved this. Thank you so much, Chef. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. 
Okay, just kidding. We're not going to commercial break because I, after hitting stop, I, I, I've been trying to keep these episodes under an hour and a half. And then I, and I, I posed the question to Chef that I was going to ask him, but then I bit my tongue, but then I asked him anyway. And the question was, what is good advice? Because, you know, it's weird. You, you will hear a lot of people out there that will say the complete opposite of what Chef just gave to us, which means, in, in other words, go out and give the market exactly what they want and listen to what they want and give them exactly what they want. You got to cook for the market. Don't cook for yourself. You know, you got to create what the market wants, not what you want. And I don't know. I have to be honest. And sometimes I lean more in the direction of what chef just shared with us. Uh, and what were you, and then like you started getting fired up. I was like, all right, hold on. <laughs> never mind. I'm yeah. going to record this. What were you about to say, chef? Yeah, I think that, you know, look, it works both ways and, and, and it should. Um, but I think that there's, uh, you know, I think there's two types of people in this business and um, maybe one is an entrepreneur that gets in it for the financial reward or the, the you know, potential payoff from investorship or they look at it strictly as a business transaction. And then there are other people like us who, who get in this because of the love of the game. You know, I, I was talking to our staff the other night and I was saying that um, I was trying to pull on their heartstrings of the fact that, you know, ideally at one point, everyone sort of got into this industry because we enjoy taking care of people, right? There's, there's some element in every one of these employees that was sitting in front of me that you started serving, I think I was being hopeful, but the idea is that we, we, we did this because we enjoy taking care of people. And there's mm. this beautiful uh, thoughtfulness and empathy that goes into that, um, that we get to share that with people every single night. We have the opportunity to bring them into our circle, make their, their night, their life, their week, uh, just a little bit better by giving them love and showing them love. And so that's honestly how we run our organizations, you know, and, um, there's a, we undoubtedly experience a lot of different challenges and ups and downs because of that, but I wouldn't change the way we do it. And it's, and it's for a love of the game because we, we truly just in our hearts, the re, you know, I started cooking and I fell in love with cooking because I knew that I could make people happy. And I found and discovered at an early age that I, I got so much joy and pleasure out of bringing joy and pleasure to others that through cooking, I could do it multiple times a day, every single day. And so now as an entrepreneur, I look at it and say, hey, how do we, how do we continue to generate that feeling amongst our staff? But then also, how do we then project that outward? And, and, uh, and listen, you know, it's a very personal thing at Maison and at Luca, and we want it to be that way. Chef. Um, you know? Yes, man. Yes. I, I, I'm right there with you, and I agree with everything you said. And, you know, I believe that we need to get more people into this game who do it for the love. Um, and that's why this podcast exists so we can share knowledge and get those people who are out there getting into this industry for the right reasons. We can give them and share knowledge, you know, and helping support each other because it's tough, you know, and we need to share knowledge. And if we're going to make, if we're going to, you know, inject passion and love and transformative relationships, like if we're going to make this world a better place, that sounds so fucking cheesy. If we're going to make this world a better place, dude, we need to work together. We need to support each other. We need to share knowledge and there needs to be more great restaurants in this world. Not, more restaurants, more great restaurants. Well, and, and I'll just my values. closing thought for that statement you just said is my my uh, overriding industry hashtag for the next year or decade needs is just collaboration over competition. Mm. And that's exactly what we need more of. It's not looking at each other like we're competing, but fostering that network of brotherhood, sisterhood, 
you know, looking out for one another and, and we all rise with the tide kind of thing. But you know, Chef, there's a lot of hope out there because the more we grow uh, uh, as humanity, the more we share knowledge, the more we're learning about the human brain, the more we're realizing that, you know, money, it helps, right? You can do a lot of good things with money. But at the end of the day, the amount of money you have, it's all freaking relative because at the end of the day, what will really make you happy, and I'll bring it back again, I use Maslow's hierarchy needs all the time, we need to be loved. We need to belong. We need to grow personally. We need to feel like we're contributing to something greater. And money doesn't give you any of that fucking shit. So You're here's right, the thing. Exactly right. <laughs> like, you know, we need to we need to start thinking about like what's best for all of us and help each other out and make it about us, not me versus you, not about how much money I can make, not about how much I can ex- exploit this industry, you know, and the people that I take care of with shitty food. Like, I don't know, man. Yeah. My, my, my wife and I always laugh because we always say, Oh, you know, we heard somebody is in that restaurant where they're, they're going to do this with this chunk of money. And, and we always joke and say, that's the worst idea. You, if you have money, don't come into this <laughs> yeah. business. This is the hardest business to make money in. Yeah. And if you're in it just to make money, you're, you're going to, you know, it's going to be a cold one way transaction because you're not going to get that pleasure of, of taking care of people and enriching their lives. You're going to miss yeah. that whole boat. And then, you know, then it's just not going to be what it should be. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Apologizes for the the curses I just dropped on you and everybody listening hey, to this. When I get worked up, when I lose control, don't, sometimes I don't mind a bit. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a quick quick break to thank our sponsors, and then we'll be back. This this time for real, I promise. To be unstoppable, most restaurants require a little extra capital from time to time. It happens, right? Uh, when you need funding to like renovate or buy equipment or manage cash flow, you don't have time to just track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. And that is where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. And if you apply online, you'll get a decision right away, which is pretty awesome. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You'll never have to reapply to take out additional loans, and you only pay for the funds you use. Yeah, you're impressed, and I haven't even gotten to the impressive part. Cabbage has helped more than 130,000 businesses from every industry with over $4 billion in funding. Like, awesome. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company not once, but twice. Check out Cabbage at Cabbage with a K dot com slash restaurant unstoppable and you'll get a $50 gift card when you qualify. That's Cabbage, K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash restaurant unstoppable. Line of credit is subject to credit approval, C terms and conditions. All Cabbage business loans are issued by Celtic Bank, a Utah chartered industrial bank member FDIC. Everyone loves processing invoice after invoice. It's the best. (laughs) Not really. Just the sight of a filing cabinet is enough to make you sick, right? It doesn't have to be that way. With Sorcery, there's no more manually processing invoices by hand and no more cutting check after check. With Sorcery, you can organize all of your accounts digitally, scan your invoices, and pay your vendors with just one click. It is easy. Sorcery offers fully managed accounts and statements reconciliation, so you no longer spend hours on the phone with your vendors and banks that stinks. You now have the peace of mind knowing your accounts are being taken care of, and you can get back to work doing what you love, running unstoppable restaurants. Go to GetSorcery.com, that's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com, or call one 6683006691 mention restaurant unstoppable and receive 10% off your first 3 months 
and say goodbye to your old filing cabinet and hello to the digital world with Sorcery AP Automation. We're recording again, and we're back. The first question I have for you, Chef, is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I think that uh, it's twofold, but I think resiliency and, and persistence. Um, you know, I think through this whole interview, we've been chatting about how this all came to be. And, and it, it does have to be the, the single guiding uh, principles and factors because, look, you've got the passion, you've got the vision, you have the energy behind it. No one else is going to see it the way you are. And um, it's, you know, look, who says they should? So you got to be the reminder. you got to come back every day with the energy, uh, pre, during, and post to be committed to getting better. Uh, and each day I wake up wanting to be better at what I do, being a better father, being a better husband, being a better entrepreneur. And that just takes uh, a relentless pursuit of knowledge and, and uh, getting better. Nice. What is your biggest weakness? Working too hard. <laughs> um, and also, I think that um, you know, uh, sort of an epiphany I had lately was that I can't drive a culture and create a culture just based on willing it to happen and working really hard. Mm. Um, you know, I think that I, I have no problem putting in the hours like many of my brethren and, and sisters in this industry. Um, but I think now it's really about being smart as a business owner. And as you mentioned earlier, it's about trying to find that balance to work on the business, not in the business. Yeah. I think that really comes down to, you know, obviously there's a certain amount of systems, processes, procedures you need to lean on, but it's also more so in my opinion to do with recreating yourself and others and, and, sharing, collaborating, right. And spreading the wealth and providing careers, not jobs to people. Uh, and then said it perfectly. Yeah. Okay. So the next question, what's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Uh, for me, I think that, uh, because now I'm doing both front of house and back of house operations, you know, front of house to me, it's about empathy. And do you generally, are you here for the money or do you generally, are you here because you enjoy taking care of people? You know, one of my, one of my uh, mentors who I've looked up to forever, and uh, Danny Meyer, he, he poignantly puts it that, um, you know, we, I can't teach somebody to care that that glass has a smudge mark on it. Um, I can teach you how to polish it and do it every time, but I can't teach you to care and will you to go over there and make that right, swap out a new glass or make it polished. You just have to have that in you. Uh, and so that's what we're looking for is people who generally first want to take care of people uh, and if we do that right, all the financial rewards come with it. Those 51 percenters, right? I think he's what you got it, brother. Um, you nailed it. <laughs> what's a current challenge today? Oh, I'm sorry. You know, and then the other thing on the backside, I said front of house, but for back of house, just to, to finish that one previous question, um, I ask a lot, do you read and what are you reading currently? You know, I think a lot of young cooks uh, get so caught up in new techniques and flying through their, their, uh, work experience. They want to just jump to the next new thing. Uh, and my, I gained so much of my experience just from reading and studying. Um, and it is such an important piece of what I look for in young cooks is, uh, you know, are you, are you a student of the game and are you putting time in outside of these walls? Cause that's how you're going to get better. What is your biggest challenge today? Um, well, we're potty training uh, our two-year-old, so that is, <laughs> and she is a stubborn little, little bull, but, uh, no, I think, um, just l- the learning curve that comes with managing, uh, you know, over 50 employees and, and beginning to really, you know, truly embracing how my role has changed from 
chef to chef owner to entrepreneur and and creating a culture that we can drive daily that, um, you know, I, I call it the, the dilution effect. And that is uh, at Maison, our guests got to experience Taylor and Leanne and all that we brought with it nightly. And how do we do that through 50 other employees? How do we get them, you know, how do we spread that message through all of them that it's it's so true and so pure and doesn't get diluted? I think that's, that's one of the challenges right now. Mm, man, I'd love to spend time on that, but uh, <laughs> maybe one quick lesson, like what, like in two sentences, keep it sharp and precise. How are you doing that? I think it's, um, you know, we're training is always one of the biggest challenges, right? Training and hiring for any industry across all industries. Um, but I think it's hiring the right people first and foremost that are, uh, that have aptitude to sort of absorbing that story and want to tell it and want to be an advocate for you. And, and not because, uh, we're the most important people in this building, but because that story and that intimacy and that love for what we do is, is what's gotten us here. Yeah. And so if, if we don't get to share that with our guests, then they're not getting the whole experience. Got it. Um, and again, some people, like I said earlier, some people, you know, will want it and they want to know everything about us and the, and the building and the history. And, uh, and so we need to be ready for them and share like an open book and then others don't want to know anything. And that is completely fine too. So, Sweet. you know, yeah. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Uh, it's to be thoughtful in everything that we do. And I think that's something that is missed so much in this business. Um, but to me, being thoughtful implies empathy. Uh, naturally, I think all of us could use <laughs> more empathy in our lives, but specifically in this industry. But it, it applies to back of house to, hey, how are we receiving this product? How are we packaging and storing it? How are we cleaning it and processing it? And how are we cooking it and plating it? Right? I want you to be thoughtful in the approach of the people who took care of it, who, who created, who you know, worked hard as hell to get these products to us, and then who you're giving this to. And then, you know, farmhouse the same thing we, we have to be when people walk in the door our, our first job is to sense what they need from us that night and how we can uh how we can enchant them with and, and satisfy all of their needs first and foremost and then serve them some wonderful food drink at the same time what's one uncommon standard of service you teach your team that's common within your four walls but not common within the industry one of the things we talk about a lot uh is very specific use of language and vernacular um, you know, I think we're a refined casual restaurant. You know, we have our servers wear t-shirts and jeans and, uh, many of them are covered in tattoos and it's a very sort of loud and, and fun place, but we still have refined steps of service that I think create a, a really nice experience. And, and one of those is, um, being very conscious about the words we use. And I think that there's ways in which we can use our language to influence a, a table or influence an experience, um, most importantly, to bring a little bit of grace to each interaction we have with, with, uh, with our guests. And ultimately, just, you know, it, it employs the idea of thoughtfulness. If we're ensuring that we're saying good evening, not good afternoon. And instead of saying, can I get you another beer? Maybe implying that they've had one or two too many. May I refresh that beer for you? Um, are you still enjoying this rather than are you still working on yeah. that or can I clear that out of your way? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, there's this huge subconscious that oh, I talk man. about a lot in our restaurant. So that we go down rabbit holes on and, and that's one of it. Anna Dolce just recently on the show. Uh, I'm not sure if your show, your episode will air before or after hers, but she had this, this Ted X talk talking about how we just go through the motions today. Like everything is default uh, and be intentional. Like you said, and really choose your words. And 
and don't just say the same thing over and over again, but be thoughtful about the words you're using and be in the moment, be intentional. Great stuff. Um, Absolutely. What's one book we must read to become a better person or restaurant owner? Great. I'm going to give you three very quickly. The first is The Power of Moments. Uh, It's one I've been reading lately and I actually don't have in front of me, so I can't tell you the brilliant authors that wrote it. Incredible book about this idea of thoughtfulness, empathy, but creating moments. And that's really what our job as a restaurant is. Okay. Um, Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. It's it's the the Bible in our house and is um, is the tome of ultimate hospitality knowledge. And then lastly, The Alchemist, which was uh, is about a journey of persistence and resilience that I think everyone should read at some point in life. And what was that first one again? Hit, the, hit me with that. Uh, the, the first one is The Power of Moments. Power. The power. You will be, you will be enthralled and, and not put it down. I think all three of those are on audio. So you can head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. If you're not already listening to audiobooks, uh, do you listen to audiobooks by any chance? I do. I usually listen to I'm more of a podcast kind of guy, but, um, but I, I'm finding in my life right now, it's really hard to get time in yes. with books, which is why, uh, you know, which is like an hour before I go to bed, which then only gets my mind jacked up. So it's, it's not a good idea, but yeah, but I am definitely opening myself up to audiobooks. Yeah. It's, it's a much better way. If the words have ever come out of your mouth. I don't have time to read a book. Then you definitely need to check out audiobooks because it will change your life. And like you said, uh, you're constantly learning. You're constantly reading. We constantly need to influence ourselves with incredible people. And they're all out there putting their thoughts in the books. There's also podcasts now. Uh, so yeah, uh, there's no excuse anymore, guys. Again, Agreed. audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. If you use that link, you're supporting the show too. All right. The next question, we're almost done. What is one resource, one online resource or tool you're leveraging? Um, honestly, I, I think probably the one that's, that's influencing the most right now is just the power of podcasts. Like mm-hmm. I said, I'm, I'm in forever in pursuit of, of knowledge, but you know, in this world of business, it's a very challenging landscape. And so anything I can do in short snips of time that I can learn from my fellow entrepreneurs and business owners and, uh, and bright minds. I want to soak that up as much as possible and then try to implement those practices. Can you, into, can into you share business. a podcast with us? One yeah. The one I've been listening to lately is, uh, is called story brand. Um, and it's really about, um, you know, creating a clear message. Uh, and he interviews a, a wide cross section of people from all different, uh, businesses and walks of life. Um, but I just, I just love hearing about fellow entrepreneurs and, uh, and how they've, you know, gone about their success in their industries. And, um, it's really inspiring. Yeah. And, uh, the story brand, Donnie, Donald Miller also has, uh, the book, the story brand, uh, which is another great book. That one's only about four and a half hours on audio. Uh, and right on. It, it's, it's a great book. If you guys haven't listened to that, getting clarity on your brand. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant? That's had a huge ba- impact on operations, communication, profitability. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to break I'm going to go old school with this one, uh, and, and maybe surprise you a bit, but, uh, the mortar and pestle. <laughs> and, the, and the reason why I say that is because um, we use in our kitchen a lot. We have, we have a couple of huge ones. And uh, every single time one of our cooks is using it, I walk over, put my arm around them, and I talk about the fact that this tool that you are using right now has been used for hundreds, if not thousands of years to produce food. And that is a powerful thing for cooks to understand. Yeah. Um, you know, with sous vide and with circulators and dehydrators and all these things, you know, it, you can you can just kind of lose that primal connection to food. And so, anytime we're using mortar and pestle, not only is it 
simply yield a better product, a more rustic, more true product than like a food processor or something else or a grinder. Um, it, it is, it's primal and there's beauty and there's beauty in the form. There's beauty in, in the practice of it. Um, I use it as a learning opportunity to talk about, Hey, this, this exemplifies our cooking and it is simple and, and pure. I'm so happy that you mentioned that. As many of you know, I just got back from Thailand and I brought one thing home with me. I packed up a gigantic mortar and pixel. Uh, I literally threw it in a double bag. I busted the zippers on this thing. It was so big. Uh, And that's just kind of funny. I think we're meant to be friends. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) share. Okay, this is the last question. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of of wisdom, things you know to be true about your your own success and the, the good of humanity, what would those three things be if you could just drop them on us right now? Sure. I think um, one thing that my wife and I have been talking about a lot lately is creating the life you want to live. Um, you know, far too often, and we, we touched on this earlier in the podcast, is that people are not responsible for their own lives. They find other ways, other people to blame them on. Uh, other people to credit for, you know, their shortcomings or reasons why they're not doing these things. Create the life you want to live and, and chart a path, be intentional, and then work your ass off to get there. Mm. And anything is reachable. I mean, truly, you know, I, I feel so uh, empowered to raise two young women in this world who are four and two right now. So they're very young, but uh, I know that I can, I can educate them on, they can do whatever the hell they want. And they can be successful at it. You just got to be determined and you got to work and you got to have grit. And that's what it's about. So that's one. Um, I would say that uh, uh, sort of a subcategory of that could potentially be the second one. But to me, it's looking inward before you look outward. If there's, if there's things that are happening that our cooks aren't doing, and rather than jumping on them and saying, guys, what the hell is wrong with this? This looks like shit. You know, I look at my chef de cuisine and I, we look in the eye and we say, what are we doing wrong that's producing this product? You know, Marty Vitale had his famous for saying a quote that, you know, chefs yell because they're frustrated at themselves for not training well enough. And it couldn't be more true. If we encounter issues that are pissing us off or that are not going the right way, look inward first. What are we not doing? How are we not empowering our staff, our team, our people uh, to do the right thing? And also, I think looking inward uh, by not letting anyone else control your destiny, your shortcomings, your successes always be in, in the driver's seat. Yes. And lastly, I think, uh, you know, probably something you got, it has been coming through this whole time, but it's just following your heart, your passion, your purpose. Um, I, I don't think there's anything more genuine or something, anything that will create more genuine results than being true and authentic to yourself, what you believe in and what gets you out of bed each day. Chef, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, to share your advice, to share what you know to be true about this world. Uh, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody that you look up to and admire in this industry? Somebody you think we could learn a lot from, call them out right now. Oh, man. I mean... I, again, I, I hallow all the ground that Danny Meyer walks on, and I uh, <laughs> really is setting the bar high for me. <laughs> I love him so much, and uh, and um, yeah, and I I would say, God, who else at the moment? You know, I think um, I I'm fascinated by a lot of these big chefs who how they manage so many properties. You know, we're managing two right now, and some days it feels like uh, you know we're we're sinking below the tide. 
Um, so I, I think in contrast to the, the beauty and the love and the romance and the passion that, that these small business owners put in, I love hearing from some of the big guys because it, it sort of uh, gives me faith and hope that, um, you know, in this big business world, there's still a lot of fundamentals we can all do to, to get better and to, to run sustainable businesses. So I always enjoy hearing from some of the big guys. Yes. Awesome. Uh, thank you again so much for taking the time to share your story. Uh, why don't you let the folks at home know if you want to come join your team or uh, come visit you, what's the best way to connect? Absolutely. I love that. So we're, lo- we're located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's a great little uh, small city that's emerging just uh, about an hour and a half outside of Philly, hour outside of Baltimore. We've got two restaurants, Maison. Uh, it's MaisonLancaster.com. And then uh, you can check us out at Luca, which is our wood-burning Italian kitchen. Um, and that is uh, LucaLancaster.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook as well beautiful this is episode i'm not sure i've lost track which is a good sign because that means i'm getting a lot of content <laughs> so just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com uh slash taylor mason t-a-y-l-o-r-m-a-s-o-n taylor mason you can find the links to everything that we discussed right over there in the show notes and actually you know what i wrote down up to the top of the screen this is episode 487 so you can head right over to restaurant 487 uh to re- slash sorry you can also head over to restaurant unstoppable slash four eight seven. You can find the show notes over there. Chef Taylor, thank you so much. There is it's, no it's question. It's been my pleasure, brother. You are unstoppable. <laughs> Cheers. Well, there's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you guys enjoyed it. A couple takeaways from this one. I think the first one, obviously, is just that idea of persistence, right? Of uh, resilience and just keep on showing up. When he and his wife were trying to get loans, uh, they failed a bunch of times. It didn't make the, they didn't hit their mark. They didn't come out of those banks with the, you know, the check in their hands, but they didn't stop. They learned from each experience and they kept showing up and they eventually figured out what they needed and they made it happen. But they're, they're continuing to have that resilience in their life to this day. And it doesn't happen overnight. It happens with slowly showing up, making, a little bit more of an impact tomorrow than you did today. And I think his example of, you know, the first day they opened, they had five restaurants, they had five customers and they had six and, you know, and then they had 12 and they had 24 and it slowly compounds over time. If you just keep on showing up and you make it about meaningful relationships and you really care about your people and you, you constantly improve, you will get there. Uh, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. And uh, I love that he actually chooses the hard path. I think more and more people need to choose the hard path. Uh, we kind of have like this, this false uh, image of, you know, we can eventually build our business to the place where we don't need to be there and we shouldn't be there. But the truth of the matter is why, why don't you want to be there? Create a business that you want to be at and that you can leave when you have to. But ultimately, why would you not want to be at this thing? This is your life. This is what you created. Uh, so create something that's worth wanting to be at. Right. And, uh, um, just, just the values he has to stick to his guns and to stick to his vision. I just really commend this dude. Uh, Awesome stuff today. Also, some really great advice in that speed round too, with service and just the the mindfulness and the intention of the words you use 
uh, can really make an impact. It's the details, right? So really teach your people to be thoughtful of the words they're using. I think that was the last one that I wanted to bring up before we start wrapping things up. So like always, guys, please do reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. You can reach me on Instagram and Twitter as well, Eric Cacciatore and Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. Uh, the best way you can support this podcast is by sharing it. The more people that know about this resource, the more of an impact we can make. And uh, I think the the last thing I need to mention, uh, something I want to start doing more of, uh, you know, I want to start setting up these one-on-one calls where you can share where you're at in your lives. You can, you know, I don't necessarily have all the answers. I'm willing to admit that, but I know a lot of people. And if I can't find the answer for you, I want to go out and find the person who does have the answer for you. And I've listened to a lot of great stories and I've got a pretty good idea of what it takes to make it in this industry. So if you want to set up a one-on-one chat with me, I'm willing to sit down with you guys for a one hour chat. Uh, So head over to the show notes, find the, uh, banner in the show notes to set up that one-on-one chat with me. I would love to hear your story and hear how I can help. Uh, let's get that that scheduled now. And um, I think that's all for today. Uh, also, wait, just kidding. One more thing just popped into my mind. I'm tired. It's it's almost midnight. It's late for me, believe it or not. I'm, a, I'm an early bird kind of guy. Uh, I'm doing another mastermind group. So if you need uh, help hitting your goals, showing up, me- meeting your goals, uh, and even maybe just like articulating a a plan, uh, putting a plan together, right? And really, if you want to help just starting to live more intentional, uh, the Restaurant Unstoppable Mastermind, the the group of guys and gals that get together a couple times a month to keep each other accountable and to really brainstorm, like we can help you out with that. So if you're interested in joining a a group of like-minded individuals who are all after the same goals and ambitions, uh, let me know. I'll let you in on some of the uh, details on what it takes to join the mastermind uh, restaurant unstoppable mastermind. All right, now it's time to say goodbye. Thanks for sticking around this long guys until next time. Peace out.